What were the key takeaways for you, Andrew? The biggest one, without question, is is, is around accessibility. You know, because it could be obviously we're used to the term accessibility thinking in terms of um, you know the technical standards that you know things like screen readers might need to use. But actually, it can be all kinds of things. It can be an empathy for someone's mental health. It could be someone with RSI. And actually starting to really understand what good design for everyone actually means. Um, And that seems to be a big challenge for businesses at the moment. Very warm welcome to the Understanding Users podcast, brought to you by Researchable UX. It's great to have you with me. I'm your host, Mike Green. I'm a freelance user research lead and digital consultant based in the UK. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be chatting to various digital experts who I've had the pleasure of working with in recent years. They're from various disciplines, including user research, UX design, development, and product management. And they'll even be a digital business owner or two. I'll be talking to them about how they came to be in their current roles, what they've learned along the way, and what advice they may have for others getting into the field. These are intended to be relaxed, informal chats with professionals who are keen to share their experiences. So sit back and enjoy. This is the third and final episode of a three-part mini-series covering Lionel Mason's UX seminar at the Leeds Digital Festival 2022, which was entitled How User Experience Design Can Successfully Solve the Digital Challenges of Today. In this episode, I'm chatting with Andrew Machen, founder and director of Lion & Mason, which is a digital product and service design agency. He talks about the genesis of Lion & Mason, his reflections on the event they hosted at the Leeds Digital Festival, and his thoughts more broadly on the direction and current state of user experience and product design disciplines. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So my name is Andrew Machen. Uh, I'm founder and director of Lion & Mason, uh, a UX consultancy um, that specializes in digital products and services. I started the business in 2016. Um, My background is UX design of about 20-something years, which is terrifying. Um, But at the time, I've been, well, I I have worked for and with a huge amount of digital agencies in that time. Uh, as a designer, as a uh, UX director, as creative director. Um, and the reason I wanted to start up a new kind of offering was principally out of the fact that I could see that with this new wave of digital transformation, as uh, you know, this was a new term that was kind of bounding around in 2015, that actually the, the typical kind of digital agency model for delivering UX services for that, that, that area wasn't great. Um, a lot of the expertise was hidden behind uh, account managers and project managers. And actually the UX people and the experts were very much experienced designers and you know, never really got to have that chance to speak to users often enough, to have that direct access to the client um, in terms of uh, you know being able to understand the business processes, the product itself. And so Lionel Mason was born out of this idea that actually how do we, how do we, give greater transparency and greater access to UX expertise for people that are going through digital transformation or are looking to create digital products and services. Now, UX in the the marketing sense has been, well, it is very mature. You know, people understand the value of, you know, a properly functioning website, um, a a slick e-commerce site, 
Uh, and actually, the, the value there has been understood for an awfully long time. But there's, again, even back, dating back to the 90s when enterprise solutions and products were being built, actually, there was no UX designer or there's no UX consideration as part of these things. And a lot of them were built from the architecture upwards, which meant that they, they did work and people could use them. But actually, there was an awful lot of products that being created around this time that you know were failing because... The idea was born out of maybe uh, business thinking that they perhaps understood what the customers want. You know, we hear it so many times. Oh, you know, we know what our customers mm. are after. We, we know what Make we need. To do. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, when we first opened the business, that you know, the first wave of clients that we had were people that had done this, then realised we've just wasted an awful lot of money, and in some instances, we've done an awful lot of damage to the business because we've wrecked the customer journey or we've um, we've created, you know, invested an awful lot of money in a product that people don't actually want. We thought they wanted it, but no one's using it. Uh, and, you know, when, when we first opened the business, that was an awful lot of the types of clients we had. And these aren't small businesses that, you know, maybe a little bit naive. These are, I won't name them, <laughs> but these are FTSE 100 companies. Um, these are really established national organizations that have, you know, invested in digital to be able to deliver services to offer new products, but actually that product has fallen flat because actually it's not they've really lost touch of what actually users and customers actually want. Um, so that's why we started Line and Mason. Uh, the reason, uh, or, or the way we do that, I should say, uh, is is kind of behave a lot more like a consultancy. So um, we work very directly with clients you know when we first started we uh, there be there was a time when we would actually go into their offices and then sit and work with their teams covid kind of kiboshed that uh, pretty rapidly but actually it means that we found new ways of doing things that are actually better you know there's a huge raft of digital tools out there which mean we can still offer the same service through um, tools like miro zoom whatever whatever else we want to throw into the mix there but actually, we're finding we can deliver a much faster, more efficient service by being able to use those tools. So actually, we operate very much in a remote fashion now, even though we're still doing exactly the same thing. But these UX experts can go and embed themselves into that, that client team um, and actually absorb you know, the ways of doing things, understand and build relationships with the technical teams, build relationships in some instances where we have high, highly regulated clients with um compliance teams as well so that actually we really start to get an understanding of what it is that this business is about and the product and the challenge therein and then also on top of that of course is the really close direct relationships with um uh, the end user which of course is invaluable but one of the key things uh, that we do is help share that insight throughout the business as well and because we are embedding ourselves as part of that business it becomes really vital for, you know, the user research we do isn't just valuable from a UX point of view. It's valuable from a, a huge, you know, it's it's valuable for the whole business. So it's a big part of what we do is that internal comms piece, which is around, well, this is what your customers actually want. And that helps get, um, you know, C-suite buy-in. It helps the tech teams understand what the challenge is. More often than not, they're just given something to build without really understanding what the challenge is. Um, and that 
helps a, a huge amount. Part of that, I guess, mission and and kind of drive to bring user centric design to your clients and as, you know, as a consultancy. You ran an event recently at the Leeds Digital Festival, bringing a, a series of quite sort of um, you know prominent speakers to chat a little bit about this. I'm interested to hear a bit more about that. And- the, the the idea it's worth starting there, really, which behind the the X Leads, I think we're going to call it UX Leads next year, um, was that I I said to the team, you know, that this is Leeds Digital Festival is happening. Uh, go and, if you want to go and take some time to go and watch any uh, speakers, let me know. Um, and they they went away to look, and actually there was nothing really that was talking about what we do. Lots of talk about digital in a marketing technology sense, but actually there's very little to to nothing that we could find that was related to this. What is a huge transformation just in in all industries, you know? And, and no one was talking about it, um, and that got us a little bit vexed i guess <laughs> to the point where all right fine we'll do it um and it, it's, it's fascinating really because you know leech digital festival has scaled an awful lot over the time i've seen it um, grow um but to have no one talking about this i mean there's there's some data released by mckinsey uh, last year i believe it was that said you know 60 percent of all new products going to market will either be entirely digital or digital or, or some kind of digital component to them that's massive, you know. That's absolutely massive, and you don't have to look hard to see where that's happening. You know, you can buy a, a Big Mac through your app now. You know, that's a digitization of a of a product. Um, cars, not only the way we buy cars, but also the way we interact with cars. And it's not difficult to see. You, we wouldn't dream of having a bank account now if it didn't have an app with it. You know, it, it, it it's all happening, yet but yet no one was talking about it. And so one Friday catch-up, the idea was born to, all right, fine, we'll do it. Um, so we decided to start small. Um, we've never done anything like this before. Um, and I think we were thinking, well, you know, if we get 20 to 30 people, that's a success. That would be great. Um, but as soon as we started putting kind of word out there, it was really interesting to see how quickly, you know, people wanted to engage particularly from the speaking side. So, you know, we, we, we thought, well, we could stand up and talk, but no one wants to just hear the agency spiel anymore. Actually, let's find brands that, you know, people would like to hear from. And so I just hit LinkedIn and started approaching digital product owners, digital proposition managers, um, anyone that's, you know, transformation leads, um, people like that to say, well, you know, would, would you be interested in an event like this? Would you, would you be up for speaking? And the engagement we got was phenomenal. You know, we started to attract brands that I never thought we'd, we'd attract in our very first event, such as the BBC, NatWest. But yeah, everyone was jumping like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to be involved in this. Because again, I think they too have been very underrepresented in terms of what content is out there, what events or opportunities to network are out there for people like them. And so people were just willing to, to jump at that. Um and that's kind of how it was born. And then, so, it, you know, we got great feedback from that first event. So we thought, okay, let's try a little bit bigger and better this time. Um, so we scaled it up and actually Leeds, uh, we've had a good relationship with Leeds Building Society for a couple of years now. And um, when we were talking to them about it, they were incredibly keen as one of the key sponsors of the, the event as a whole to be involved in some way, shape or form. 
So they kindly invited us to come along and host the next one with them. Um, and we did it in partnership with them. Um, and we had uh, Kelly Moran come down, who's head of UX there, uh, to do a talk, which was great. And we can only see this now going in, going into the future is scaling it even more. We're not sure what that looks like yet. We've had chats around, well, do we try to do it and do something in London? Do we try to grow it um, just as a national event, but, but still keep it rooted in Leeds? Um, how many people does that look like? That's all, obviously, we're still fresh out of the previous event, but it's still, we're, still, we're very excited to see where this could go. What were the key takeaways for you, Andrew, from, from the speakers that were, were talking? The biggest one, without question, is, is, is around accessibility. And, and actually, not just what that means technically, you know, for it, it, what, what it means in terms of what does accessibility actually mean? You know, because it could be, obviously, we're used to the term accessibility thinking in terms of, um, stand, you know, the technical standards that, you know, things like screen readers might need to use. But actually, it can be all kinds of things. It can be an empathy for someone's mental health. It could be someone with RSI. And actually starting to really understand what good design for everyone actually means. Um, and that seems to be a big challenge for businesses at the moment. Um, and again, this is, I, I really started to first understand this myself. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm a bit of you know, distance from the coalface these days, <laughs> from the from the rest of the team who are you know, really on the edge with, with this kind of stuff. Um, but for me, it was learning about, well, what does good design for everyone mean? Um, and actually really starting to not just understand users from a point of, um, can someone use something efficiently, quickly and easily? But actually, what, where are they? And, and what environment are they in? And what condition are they in? and really starting to have a really strong empathy for where someone is and what condition they might be in um, when it comes to using systems like this. You know, we've had experience of, of um, you know, the, the kind of telltale signs of some of this in, in, the, in the past with, with previous projects. Um, a, a really straightforward example might be L3 Harris that, um, amongst other things, um, builds and designs flight simulators for pilots, uh, pilot training. And they have a, a, these huge flight simulators uh, into which you know, two pilots are sat in the front and they're getting their training. And actually an instructor sits at the back, kind of like Captain Kirk, and he's got a touch screen interface. And uh, when we went along to do the kind of user observation and research for that, we realized that this touch screen interface was a nightmare to use because, of course, they're setting the... Uh, the wind outside of these simulators to, to be a gale force, 200 mile an hour, you know, wind that these pilots have got to try it and they can't touch the screen. The fingers are all over the place and they can't set the settings that they need to. And it was things like that that kind of sparked this, well, we've really got to think about not just the product itself in terms of, you know, just looking at the blank screens, but actually looking at the environment that these people are actually trying to work in. You know, one of the key things that we put um, well, there's a couple of elements and uh, that came out of the user research in terms of suggestions that were actually totally outside of the you know the application that we were looking to design. One of which was to have grips down the side of the actual touchscreen interface so that they could steady themselves and have the key interface elements where their thumbs can actually get to. So actually, it becomes a lot easier. And the second one was to actually change the chair that the person was using because it was just a standard 
kind of office chair, really, in this things that's in this thing that's getting thrown around like a roller coaster. So actually, if they, we can create a more stable environment for them, where they can actually anchor themselves a little bit better, these instructors and the pilots are all going to have a much better experience. Now. Is that accessibility? Perhaps not, but there's still that empathy, and that's kind of where the idea for us sparked from. But we've also been doing an, an awful lot of work with a, uh, a Leeds-based, uh, I hesitate to call them a startup anymore, scale-up because of the success they're having called Little Journeys, um, and the environments that they work in. Um, and if you're not familiar with them, they provide solutions for mostly children. I believe they do some adults as well, going into long-term or serious healthcare. care. Uh, and actually, around that subject, the problems they're going to—they're trying to solve—isn't necessarily a digitization, but actually, it's around anxiety. You know, the anxiety that kids suffer if they're going in for, let's say, an MRI, or the anxiety if they're having to take an awful lot of new medication and the side effects that that might have. What they are creating solutions and tools for people to be able to manage that, both from a, you know, the the parent, the child, the consultant, the hospital side, in terms of how do we create experiences now for these people and so it's driven a huge amount by uh, you know emotional anxiety which we'd still probably class as you know an accessibility need because it's a mental health issue so it's when we talk about key takeaways it's that it's the empathy a, a more general human empathy um because it is a real big thing at the moment and um you know some of the clients we speak to they're we see you know an awful lot of them actively looking for these accessibility experts that can come in from not just a technical and coding point of view, but from a understanding our customers and what they need. And, you know, some journeys we work on, uh, some, some tools we work on would be considered a distress purchase. You know, these aren't things that you take when you're just casually shopping online. These are things that people might need quite urgently. And actually, how do we design for that as well? That, that's fascinating. And I'm interested to know, you're sort of saying accessibility is coming to the fore now and has been in kind of recent years, but obviously UX as a discipline has been around quite a long time. And it feels like it's it's only now that there's a sort of level of maturity in the discipline and the industry that accessibility and, and that start to be thought about. And I'm interested to know why it wasn't kind of brought in, don't have any answers kind of earlier on. It, it, it was. And that's why, that's why I mean from more of a technical point of view. So if, if you were to look at the, uh, I always get this wrong. It's the WCAG guidelines, right? Um, and if you were to look through all them guidelines and, re and read through them, what you'll notice is, and I mean, these things have been around for an awfully long time. Actually, a lot of these things are technical. And what do I mean by that? It's about how it's coded. So that if a screen reader comes to your application, it can, it can read off to whoever might be needing this. Um, the content of that page and understand the content of that page um, or is it coded in such a way that you don't need any kind of special interaction that someone with you know uh, perhaps mobility tools can use to interact with the site and actually there's very a very small portion of it is around the actual design now there are key things like you know make sure that the you're understanding color blindness you know you're designing uh, websites, uh, etc., to be able to be, you know, seen by people that struggle with color. Things about font sizes, you know. But again, this is where we see that this is just designed for everyone now. 
and it isn't really that tangible either, whereas the coding stuff is. Now, that's always happened. However, it's only really happened in a mature sense when it comes to um, websites, e-commerce, um, content online. When we're talking about the digitization of products and tools, actually, it's nowhere near as mature. As you're building it, you're testing it with and iterating it based on kind of feedback you're getting and that whole contextual piece. That's why I find that that cockpit example fascinating with the flight simulator. I had no idea that instructors were sitting in the actual thing that's rocking around as well. So no wonder, as you say, if they're sitting yeah, yeah. on office chairs, that <laughs> it's not an ideal environment for them to be uh, training the pilots. The crazy thing about that one is I, I seem to remember there was a tea kettle on the side. One of those things that was like, have you really thought this through? You know, we're, we're chatting to a... Um, a healthcare solutions provider as well currently and they they have a, an online set of digitized system that is used in um, testing labs for inputting results um, measurements all kinds of different things however these labs are of course incredibly sterile and they've had an application designed for them that is dated and again going back to what we were talking about before is it's been thought that you, it's clear that the design of this system has only been considered within the context of the laptop that is sitting in front of them. Now, if you're talking about a sterile environment, one of the worst things you can have in a sterile environment is a keyboard. And it, it's, it's those things that, that just lack that consideration and, and understanding of, well, what's the environment that someone is actually in? And actually, would a iPad Pro with a touchscreen interface that's easily wipeable if someone's wearing gloves, be a much better solution. And those are the things we're exploring. Um, There's another example as well. Gosh, what was it? Um, yeah, we, we had a, a, a major national construction consultancy uh, reach out to us as well. Uh, and they'd spent seven figures on a new project management tool that was designed, part of which, obviously there's different kind of user views, part of which was meant for the, the kind of site managers and project managers whatever you want to call them. Um, and its interface was about tracking projects um, and materials on an iPad on site. And it could take pictures of uh, QR codes on things. Brilliant. Until they realized that this thing doesn't work for stories up on a, on scaffolding. And it became totally useless. And they found us in a, in a panic. Um, so again, when we think about accessibility now, it's about not just you know, those people we believe are disabled and need, you know, uh, screen readers or, or, or such tools. It's about how is everyone getting access to this technology? How do people, how do the people that need it get access to this technology or to this tool? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of final questions for you, Andrew. How do you see um, product design, service design uh, in the digital sphere kind of evolving kind of how do you see the discipline changing over the next few years and and what are the challenges facing organizations like yours and your clients in in terms of that um that's, that's a good question i think that the key thing is this there are some industries and we see it in different industries so different industries are facing different challenges and we see it in terms of the just sim simply the projects that we actually win which are in some industries are maturing at different speeds um, and there's still an awful lot of organizations out there that are really only just getting to grips with the fact that they need to start thinking about this a little bit more seriously. Um, 
now COVID has accelerated that. It was always happening. COVID accelerated that, and it's made people think, no, we, we really need to um, uh, get this sorted now. So the big challenges for organizations are changing the way they do things. And you know, there's still an awful lot of change management going on at the moment to help people adopt these processes in terms of how they're developing new propositions, new products, or just changing the way they do things. Um, a great example is, um, you know, one of the most traditional companies in the world, which is Lloyd's of London. Uh, and we were speaking to them for an awfully long time because as soon as COVID hit, suddenly this big old building was empty and you know, got no other way of delivering their service. And so they're going through the most gargantuan digital transformation that you can imagine. And they're well on the way with it and it's going to be very expensive. Now that's forced change, so that will happen quite quickly, but there's also a lot of other organizations that perhaps got legacy products and are still building them in the same way that they used to. And uh, are actually still trying to sell in internally this whole idea of let's talk to the users, let's find out what they want. Um, and different people are at different levels of this maturity. You know, I say we've, we've been in a relationship with uh, Leeds Building Society now for some time, and they're now starting to build up, you know, a bank of user researchers, um, which is, you know, the first time they've had them. Um, and they're really starting to build out a team. And we've seen that across all the organizations to start saying, yes, right, we get it now. So in terms of um, on the client side, it's how do we change our the way we're doing things? Uh, and that, this is what we get all asked to help with an awful lot. There is usually, and it's often the case that there is a core within the middle of the business, say middle management or director level, that understands, right, this is the way we need to go now. We've, we've had, it might be that we've had the fingers burn or they see what the competition is doing um, and we need to change, but there is still a C-suite sitting above it, um, a board, which are still, um, now why, why would we want to change everything? B business is good. Uh, you know, this, we, we don't get it. Um, so a big part of what we get asked to do is help embed some processes, but also do that comms piece around, um, well, how do we speak to the board and get them involved and get them on this journey so that they can start to adopt a more user-centered way of doing things? So what we need to do is really take technology out of the equation now, remain technology agnostic, and actually, how do we solve business problems? Or how do we, how do we capitalize on opportunities? Um, how do we innovate? And then start to understand, then start to bring in the conversation of, well, we've got these opportunities. How, how, and what technology is best to solve those problems or, or capitalize on those opportunities? And it might be in-house capability that you might already have. It might be something that's off the shelf. It might be a brand new product that we can help them source a, a partner for. And I can see a lot more organizations going down that route. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Users podcast and special thanks to my guest, Andrew Machin. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely. And feel free, of course, to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Links are in the show notes. Join me again next time where I'll be talking to more experienced UX professionals and asking them to share their wisdom, tips and knowledge. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centred. <laughs>